0: Welcome to week 26 here on TechNATO, the IT podcast brought to you by IT Pro TV. I'm Dom Pizzette. This week we've got news across several different areas, a lot coming out of the Fedora camp for their upcoming version. And we have a very special interview with Dryden from Titan HQ. We're going to talk about DattoCon and uh, a lot of other things in the MSP space. Very exciting stuff. Stay tuned, it's all happening now on TechNATO. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to TechNado. Mr. Peter Van Rysdom is out for the week, which means I, uh, your host Don Pizzette, actually get to have fun for a change. We've got Mr. Daniel Lowry here in the studio with me, ready to help and, and pitch in. Daniel, how are you going to live up to the legacy? Of Peter Van Ryzem.
1: I don't know. I will do my best to uh, be a bit aloof, maybe dry and sarcastic as much as <laughs> ho- humanly possible, so that they don't feel too displaced. Our viewers, that
0: You know, it is different though because you 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 have a technical background. Obviously, you uh, are are well versed in IT security and other areas. So uh, so I always appreciate that extra feedback, except for those instances where I'm wrong, because uh, with Peter I can I can kind of fake it and it's fine. Yeah, but with you, you know. you call me <laughs> I'll out. Be like, so Man, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have a great. great Great show lined up today because we are going to cover the IT news. That's the fun part of our podcast. I always look forward to that. But we also have an interview that we're going to kick off right here at the beginning of the podcast from Titan HQ. So uh, we've got one of the gentlemen from that company who's going to be talking a little bit about uh, uh, a lot of different things, but we're going to start out talking about the DattoCon conference. that just kind of passed by. So that's all coming up in just a few minutes. But uh, after that, We'll come back, and Daniel and I will run through some of the latest events in the IT technology space. Stay with us. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm Don Pazette, and we're going to dive right into an interview in this segment. You know, we, we love to go out to a lot of conferences and see new technology and talk and meet people, but we can't get everywhere. We can only be in one place at a time. So sometimes we, we let uh, a couple of conferences fall through the tracks well, fortunately, uh, one of those conferences came up not too long ago, which was Datocon. We didn't have a chance to get out there, uh, but some of our friends over at Titan HQ did. So joining us on the podcast today, we have Dryden from Titan HQ. He's going to fill us in on that. And we got a couple other topics that we're going to talk about. You know, a lot of interesting things. I always like to get a different perspective on that. So, uh, so Dryden, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks so many, guys.
0: Delighted. And before we dive in too far, would you mind introducing yourself to our viewers, maybe just a little bit about yourself?
2: Yes, so uh, my name is Dryden Geary, I'm the marketing director with Titan HQ and we are uh we're a, a vendor, a security vendor who, over the last 20 years, made our, our, our key footprint in email security. And over the last five years, we've migrated and we've pushed along more into the HTTP and HTTPS side of things. So we have a, a web content filtering product, which we call Web Titan, which has been extremely popular uh, in the last, especially the last two years, across the Wi-Fi niche, across the MSPs, uh, and directly, directly with customers. And the, the demand at the moment is actually an allied version of the product. So email security allied with the DNS filter is proven very, very popular. And uh, we also have a product we use, which uh, GDPR has has really bought into play, which is an email archiving product uh, quite similar to what Mimecast might offer. So we're we're a privately owned business um, of 55 people based out of Galway in the west of Ireland. And we also have an office in Tampa Bay in Florida and in Northport in uh, New York. So uh, yeah, that's us.
0: Now, what uh, what were you guys doing out at DattoCon? Did you guys have a booth there this year, or were you just attending to see what was new?
2: Yeah, we were sponsors we've 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 worked closely with the with datacom for the last uh, gosh three maybe four years at this stage uh, so we, we were a sponsor we'd sponsored a show uh, in the States last year and sponsored a show in London earlier on and we found that uh, they the MSPs I think are interested in uh, in selling data and partnering with data they're they're they kind of hit the sweet spot with us as well there's a lot of crossover and more importantly at, at this show we announced that Titan HQ are actually the technology and power behind a lot of the new networking, web content, filtering the data we've offered. So it was widely reported afterwards, the new malware and ransomware protection around the DNA box and around some of the networking products, we're in the the background there working with these guys to power that and power the technology and security behind it. So I've noticed with a lot of the
0: conferences over the years that they they usually seem to have some kind of general theme. You know, you get on the expo hall floor and you've got a lot of vendors that are pushing for a similar technology. Uh, One year it was uh machine learning and ai another year it was the the distributed threat feeds and what, what was kind of the overall theme this year where, where did you see a lot of focus
2: i thought yeah there was a couple of things that, that really jumped out at the at the show. So uh, they held the show in, in in Austin. The first thing I would say that we found incredible was the amount of Australian MSPs that were, were at the show. So we talked to a couple of guys. We had to fly 11, 12 hours to get across, and we thought we were great. But the Aussies had traveled for a day, a day and a half. But the MSP world and the MSP community is really, really vibrant in Australia at the moment. And it jumped out. They were everywhere. To the point of Dado held a, a uh, international meeting at the start, and they made all the Aussies wear Australian fly keeper away hats, and they walked around with them during the show. But it, but it was incredible. But when I, when I talked to these guys, uh, I think the market is, is maybe a little bit behind where things are in, where in the states. And um, fundamentally, businesses want to work with MSPs they can trust. So the first thing I took out of it was uh, you know tons of Australians, great vibrant market. So APAC, a market we've done well in, uh, is is definitely a market that people should be should be looking at. I think in terms of what was Dado's message and Austin Macquarie and the team their their message i think the the big thing that rang out here was the integration with autotask now okay that this this uh this partnership between the two businesses has really really taken off and they're working really hard to integrate and make the best out of uh out of both products and both sets of solutions um and and and, and i think that's going to be a really exciting exciting play uh, they've developed some of their technologies even further and um, one of the really really big things we saw is this to cloud backup that they're talking about so Dado have a no appliance version of what their of their backup coming, and I know when he announced it, the, the there was silence in the floor. So you know, two and a half thousand people sitting there was like, whoa, this is big. This could be really really good. Um, so that that was a big one. Security Don, was was huge. You know, it's it's become a massive area. I think there's a lot of. A lot of vendors hustling and uh, for the play there, but it's it's I don't want to say it's an easy sell. I think it's an important sell now. I think it's very very relevant for MSPs, uh, and I think there's some there's some great solutions out there. So that was that was a big part of it. And, and I suppose the work we, we we've done with data over the last six to nine months, integrating our security engine to the back end of their networking uh, lines and products, and there's more, more of that to come. I think that's a that's a sign of where things are. But but not just that. A lot of the work they're doing with other products in terms of virus blocking, malware. Ransomware killing uh, some of their backup products. What they're doing to protect against ransomware is just—it's—it's it's, it's incredible. You, met, you mentioned the dreaded AI there, but they—they're they, doing a lot more uh, intelligent and practical things to 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 to, to back up. So, uh, yeah, very very interesting show. And uh, if if I was to add uh, something that I found there too, an important thing. I thought the MSP community was extremely upbeat. I thought the feeling in the room, everyone you talked to seemed to be doing quite well. They were happy where they were at. Uh, business was progressing. They were expressing uh, growth, big growth plans. I didn't hear much mumbling and grumbling. And uh, at previous shows over the last few years, that hasn't that hasn't always been the way. You know, I, I've got this theory
0: about that. And it, you know, a few years ago, if you started talking to most MSPs, they were saying, I just don't know, I don't know what our future is going to look like, that people are moving services into the cloud and it's all being you're just taken over by these vendors. Why Why would somebody want to support their own mail server when they can just go to Office 365 or, or something like that? And so it was It was a little bit of doom and gloom. But now a couple of years have come by and we, we start to see these high profile breaches and people are finding out that when I put my stuff in the cloud, that doesn't just like magically make it secure. And I still have to try and manage it. And if I if I'm using a, an on-premises server versus something in Microsoft Azure, it doesn't change the fact that I still can't call Microsoft and get help. And so people are finding that they, they still need MSPs more than ever, especially with, with really complex deployments like with the cloud, where, hey, I, I could deal with it directly, but honestly, if I have an MSP helping me, now I have a human being I can call on the phone who can help me walk through that technology. And I, I think that's helped to revitalize that industry. I, I think the MSP market is is strong and, and to to grow, do you do you see the same?
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely um, on the money there, Don. You know, uh, a couple of years back with with the with the rush to the cloud, I think the MSPs stood back and said, you know, wh- wh- where do we fit in here? You mentioned Office three six five um and we 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 have dealt with actually a couple of very very big i don't want to call them box pushers but old school box pushers across the states and we've seen them really some of the bigger older businesses we've seen them really look at things and go wow you know what what does this cloud mean for us you know nobody needs to bring those boxes to those 600 locations anymore my my strength in distribution is no longer a strength it's actually a cost uh what what, what what's happening here And exactly as you've quoted there, the MSPs have been in this beautiful position where I find when I talk to them, they're lean and agile and they can move fast, the vast majority of them. And they've stepped back and they've waited and what they've actually found is correct. The, the, you know, you can't get on the phone to Microsoft, you can't get on the phone to Cisco and um, Microsoft Office it doesn't fix everything for you, okay? Okay, we still have, you see the likes of a Mimecast and, our, and ourselves, I suppose uh, App River, these these vendors living off the back of the security vulnerabilities of Office 365. We, we use a great quote, we say, you know, the bigger you are, the bigger target on your back for these these hackers and what, what, what Microsoft have found is that they're shooting at them from every angle. So it's made a business actually for people like us. But the MSP have fantastically turned around and said, okay, things have changed a little bit, but the end customer, okay, so when I walk in and and my restaurant chain with 300 employees, yes, everything's in the cloud, but he doesn't want to go out managing all that. He wants me to come and understand these technologies and manage this for him and be the expert and have the good price and have the great support. So even though everything is sitting in the cloud, you still need your service provider. And I was really struck by the upbeat nature of the, the MSPs that they, they, you know, some of these guys are growing like crazy. Uh, I think the vendors have stepped back and said, this is the way we want to go to market. Okay. We want to mind these MSPs. We want to build relationships and partnerships. I, I, I know talking to, we're, we're probably a smaller vendor in the bigger, bigger space, but we work with two and a half thousand MSPs and quite literally, you know, I'd be very surprised if we didn't know each and every one of them, you know, first name, talk to them regularly, have a relationship with them. And what we're hearing back from these guys is, yeah, business is great. The cloud has been fantastic for us. And, you know, you can mark my words, I'm talking to the the execs and Datto, they're clued into this. They're working with the MSP community. They're developing product quite literally from what the MSPs are telling them. And that's their huge strength. And they're they're lean. They're clever. They're able to get this done. And they're listening to the end customers. So it's a great time to be in the MSP space.
0: Yeah, and you know, as a as a business owner myself, I can tell you that I, I've really benefited from using cloud infrastructure. And even like right this moment, I'm not sure if you can hear or not, but there is a massive storm that is rolling up on our building right now. Um, and in the past this is where you'd start thinking all right does my does my generator have diesel fuel in it when's the last time we did a test run are, are my upss ready to handle the load when the power goes out but but now i think hey all, all of my services are running on servers up in atlanta or washington dc or somewhere else you know i, I don't i don't have to worry about that infrastructure cost anymore but aside from that it doesn't fundamentally change the way that we manage things. We, we still have servers. They, they might not be ours. They might not be sitting here, but they're stored somewhere else. Uh, but they still have to be managed the same way. We still have to do updates. We still have trouble tickets. We, we still have to manage that. And on the client side, really next to nothing has changed on the client side. You still have a ton of workstations, laptops. Um, in fact, it's even gotten more difficult to support because you have uh, iPads and iPhones and Android phones and, and all of that that you've got to support as well. Now, Let's let's throw Titan HQ into the mix here because you guys offer a, a series of products that are designed to to you know improve security and, and do other things. That because you kind of sit in between the customer and the data, the the cloud probably didn't affect you guys much, did it? Because it, it's really just you know traffic flowing through your services.
2: It, it w- what it probably did for us, Don, is it, it, it uh, especially I think the web and the web filtering product. So. That product would be would be a product that would be quite uh, similar to Cisco Open DNS, Cisco Umbrella, Um, and 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 what really happened for us with the cloud is it just made deployment so much easier. Okay, so we get we're working with an MSP and we talk to a restaurant chain with six hundred and fifty six thousand. Who who really who really cares uh, locations? And all of a sudden, the conversation we're having with these guys is you know a simple DNS redirect uh, on a box in these. 600 or 6,000 locations, and hey, you're pointing to our Cloud. You're up and running, and all of a sudden, you've got the power of, uh, you know, uh, 700 million daily, daily, um, daily URL tests by us. 300,000 malicious sites caught. 3 million phishing sites blocked. You, you've got the in two minutes. Okay, the minute the minute you do this, so so the cloud really it just changed distribution for us you know in the past we used to we used to have a proxy we used to have an appliance that you could you could stick on site but the cloud has changed all that for us and 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 and, and as i alluded to earlier for the msps the msps have been so lever. they've done you know a lot of the big msps we work with now what they've done is they've built their own uh, cloud infrastructure where their vapi which is, is 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 a key driver of our product set vapi they're pulling from the different technologies that they need to talk to so they're working with 10 vendors you know but and API, they're pushing it through their own cloud based system. And then the customers come and play from play from there. And that that has been a revelation. So, um, you know, the, the, the world has changed, you know, the box carriers are gone. Now, this is all cloud based API driven, easy peasy, uh, monthly recurring revenue, come out of contract when you want, we're not going to hassle you. And and that's where the world is going now. And, and bear in mind, Don, I think a very important point we should make is this Specific crowd, two and a half thousand MSPs are at this fantastic Datto show. Who, who is the client here? You mentioned the client. The client, a lot of the time here, is an SME. Okay, and if what does an SME want? They want clarity and simplicity. Okay, and they don't want to be worrying about things like this. And this is why they trust an MSP. And um, in in this market, it's absolutely perfect for us.
0: All right, now let's let's throw a monkey wrench into that. That uh, you know everything's running great. The services are kind of carrying along as they normally do. Things are moving along. Uh, and then we have something big like GDPR, right? A, a Regulation gets passed and companies like yourself, where you sit in between clients and their data, you you, you can't help but handle their information. Uh, you guys are you're actually based out of Ireland, so that, that puts you right, right in the EU. So this probably affects you way more than it affects a lot of us. But ha- how does that change the way you do business? Has that been a big hit or has it mostly just been like Y2K level where you kind of yeah uh, big uh, big to do about nothing or or wh- what has that been like for you
2: yeah it's it's uh it's been a phenomenal um it's been a phenomenal development over here. In that it, it, we, we're we're amazed at um, how everybody jumped straight into this and decided, right, we're absolutely going to get stuck into this, and we're we're we we're, we we're, we're, we're terrified of what the EU are, are saying. You know, if you listen to cer- certain social commentators before GDPR came along. The EU were having a couple of arm wrestles with the Googles and Facebooks of this world over here, and I think in particular, you know, Germany, France, some of the Central European nations that have a lot of the problems with the privacy, the power of these of these companies, and uh, you know, the, a lot of the discussion in the background was, mm, "Is GDPR a way for them to 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 give themselves a little bit more power?" Um, strangely enough, when we were I've we been in the States at a, at a couple of conferences over the last two to three months, and I found the American customers and and service providers were really really interested in this because they think um they think that their legislatives are, are, are stepping back they're looking at this and they're considering you know are we going to do something like this in the future our experience has been we worked very hard to get compliant um it it, it gave us a great boost because actually we we have an email archiving product a very very good one called ArcTitan, titan and that helped you become gdpr compliant because it allowed if someone came in so so one of the key things of this gdpr was uh, uh um, people's uh, people's uh, right to access their personal data uh, very quickly and efficiently if they wanted to get it, get get rid of it. So, so in simple terms, what does that mean? If I was a hotel owner and somebody contacted me with a data a data request within a 48 or a hour period, I was gonna I was gonna have to show them. Here's the data I'm holding on you, and I'm ready to delete it if you want me to do it. Okay, uh, our, our product allowed you to do that, so that was one side benefit of it. So I was happy to see it coming. But, but what we've seen is since GDPR has gone live, there's been no high profile case. And the, the, everyone to a man and a woman had said they're going to pick someone big, maybe one of the big U.S. companies based in Europe, and they're going to go after them on this. Um, but the, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in, in Google headquarters and LinkedIn headquarters and in Facebook headquarters in Dublin here, and they had huge teams preparing for this. So we, we, Don, we've yet to see a victim. That's what I would say to you. So, uh, I'll, I'll come back to you in a couple of months and uh, we'll, 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 update you and see if someone's got caught. Now, I'm, I'm
0: curious just uh, personally, cause it, it seems like you'd be in a, a bit of a catch 22 with, with Arc Titan, where you've got this product that's designed where you can, maintain a history of all these email, right? So that you've got a, a reliable catalog of, of that data, which here in the U S like in the state of Florida, we have what's called the sunshine law that if you work for a government agency, any communication you make is public information. So they have to keep a record of every email sent to or from any government employee in the state of Florida. But then if you have an EU citizen who has the right to be forgotten and they send a request in that says, Hey, I need you to get rid of this email or, you know, any history of me. Meanwhile, we've got another law saying you've got to keep that email. Now we get a conflict. And, uh, you know, for for software like yours or a service like yours is saying we're going to collect all this email. Aren't you kind of like punching holes in that when you start deleting out people's content or how, how do you reconcile that? Or is that just left up to the attorneys?
2: you know it's, it's it's a brilliant point you know when you, you you look at the discrepancies across the EU and in the different different regions like like an example um, an example we saw actually was a legal company that uh, worked with us so so, so to answer just sideways to answer your, your, your question at a top level, uh, our position in this is we're a, we're a data processor in this. We don't access the data so if if you become a, uh, if you're using Archetype and the product to archive emails, that's within your own environment. You, we're a data processor who process this but we don't have access to the emails. There's a data garden within that business and they have a policy and they they, 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 they work through it, through it that way. We, we don't access it. But your point is extremely, extremely valid because what happens in a situation let's just say, uh, like we, we, we hit a situation where, where where, um, you know, a a legal company, a legal business was asking for a certain amount of emails to be deleted. And we were like, well, we aren't the Data Guardian on this. We don't own it. We're just providing a service. Um, And and there was some legislative reasons they wanted to do that. Uh, You know, know, what happens in the situation? It's a bank and they've recorded that somebody has bad credit, which is an important thing for that bank to know. And then if this person contacts the bank and they say, oh, uh, show me all the information you're holding on me, I don't like that I want that to lead it. but the bank saying hold on this is this is a part of what we do we hold we hold this data because you're a bad debt and you can go now to another bank and et cetera. Et cetera. It, where does anyone stand on that and the the, the the answer to that Don is nobody knows um and 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 um, the EU really we have that, that's where I'm coming back to we haven't seen an example yet of someone someone getting caught I, I think what happened what was good is I think what, what were the good things about this I think if you if a business, can demonstrate that the, 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 they, they want to live by the ethics of this rule. I think that's going to be good enough for the for the for the for the legal people. Okay. I think if you can demonstrate, we're trying our hardest to do this. Our, our, our uh, you know, to use the term, our heart's in the right place here. Here, are the three or four things we've done: we have a data security officer. We're using uh, archiving. We've got very very good security built into our email and to our systems. We're using encryption. Uh, we have a data officer, etc. 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 We have opt in on our emails and stuff like this. I, I think if you're showing intent. I don't think there's going to be too many problems, but but I still think in the back of my mind, I, I think you'll see a big case coming in the next two or three months. I'm I'm fairly sure the EU that the way they usually work is they like to set an example, they shoot at someone big, and uh, we'll we'll see where it goes. But uh, I'll be more than happy to come back on the show after Don and, and run you through that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we've uh, we've all kind of got our eyes on it, and it is neat to hear though from from people who are right there on the ground that so far it's business as usual, and and that's a good thing to hear, and and that these laws, I. Maybe I'm a little naive, and I, I think that they are—they are holding the public interest in mind. Like they are trying to make the world a better place. Uh, sometimes the implementation just gets a little rough. So we'll—we'll we'll see where that goes. Well, let's see. So far, we have talked about uh, DattoCon a bit. We talked about GDPR. We've talked about uh, just MSPs and, and their futures. We've kind of been all across the board. Uh, before we wrap up the interview, though, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Titan HQ. So uh, for those of our viewers who aren't familiar with the company, I know we've, we've kind of, in a roundabout way, talked about several of your products throughout the interview, but uh, can you tell everybody a little bit about Titan HQ and the, the products that you offer?
2: Yeah, uh, thanks, Don. So I'm I'm a marketing guy. So if I, if, I, if I start talking too much, you can uh, you can cut me off here. But um, w- the, our business, as I mentioned earlier, 55 people were were web security specialists. But w- where we've seen particular growth, actually, over the last the last couple of years, and why why our business is in a very good uh, space at the moment, um, has been the merging of a couple of products. So we, we were we were famous for our Spam Titan product, which was a very 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 good, um, uh, very very good. Uh, email secure email gateway okay and then we 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 grew that into a shared cloud that people could use and we also grew it into a product that had a private cloud so the msps that we talk about they would have our product spam titan as a private cloud and a multi-tenant development where they would have all their customers using this for security so so what what did that do it protected people from phishing spoofing malware attacks ransomware attacks via email and it was very effective doing it but we then developed the filter, the DNS filter. And one of the things we've most certainly seen in the last 18 months, and I think we've seen some other vendors come into this market because they want to play here, is that actually DNS filtering, uh, even though it's a 20-year-old technology and, and uh, um, you know it's not rocket science, it's a very, very effective way of stopping ransomware and malware. And, and uh, to the point of wh- why is it effective? It's effective because you know, it's like your teeth. Prevention is better than cure. Okay, we're stopping things coming into the network at the top level. And the, you know, I, I don't mean to keep harping on about them, but the MSPs that we talk to and the MSPs that we meet, they say, look, this is a great layer for me because fundamentally, what does this do? Um, fundamentally, what does this do? It gives me a layer at the at the outset that's blocking ransomware and, 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 and malware. And why is that important? It's not just as a sales pitch for these guys, okay? It's like we talked to a guy last day and he said he had implemented our our, our, our DNS filter for, for 18 months. He said, I didn't get a single call out when Cryptolocker hit. Okay, so what does that actually mean for him in practicality? We're, we're very practical people. Uh, what it means is he had no truck rolls to fix this. So the client who rings and goes, oh my God, I've got ransomware here, I'm all sorts of trouble, get over here fast. How much does it cost to send your two great engineers or your top customer support guy or, or whoever it is, or in a smaller MSB, you, you get in the car and you drive over there and pay for the hotel and the, the 10, 20 hours. That's really actually the saving for them. And uh, the I think the big DNS players in the market ourselves, OpenDNS, um, the technology and the security angle in the background, they've improved so, so much. So, you know, I, I threw out a figure at you earlier on where I said, you know, we would daily, at any given time, in just one dangerous category that we mind would be phishing uh, uh, sites, okay, so sites that uh, there's a very, very good chance you're going to hit a phishing link on. We would have three million instances of that. Like, isn't that mind blowing? Um, and these, the, it's a recurring mass that changes all the time. So what our product does as regards that is we, we are looking at 700 million people's search traffic at any one time, we're identifying these problem sites. And in real time, we're, we are, we are hot-loading these onto the system so that straight away you are protected from them. That has become extremely popular. And in the MSP market, it has become a core pillar of their security stack. For straight up customers, we get some customers coming direct. It's a layer that they want to bring in, and fundamentally, they want to they want to protect the network. So, so, so we talk a lot about layers. So, it's important to have your email security there. It's important to have your firewall. Okay, people think we could we, we we compete with firewall guys. No, we don't. Absolutely not. It's a layer. We're a layer that can sit on top of this. Uh, you talk about data, all the backup stuff they do. That's another part of the layer. And uh, you know, the clever players, the 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 the, the keyed in uh, system admins, and network admins and IT guys, uh, they're seeing this and they understand this this clearly. So we, we we we've had a great, a really strong eighteen months down, but particularly with the the amalgamation of those two products, and then when you bring in email archiving as well as a, as an add in, it's been it's been uh, it's been a great a great two year period for the company.
0: Awesome. Well, that is great to hear. And uh, you know, I really appreciate you spending the time with us to run through a lot of what you're seeing out there in the field and, and just your experience as a, a a platform provider like that. It's such a uh, it's such a different perspective on a lot of the things that we've been reporting on over the last few months. So I really appreciate it. Uh, Before we wrap up, do you have anything else that you want to mention?
2: no i just you, you know thanks a million for for, for giving us the time it's uh, it's great for one of the smaller vendors to come out and have a, have a chat with guys like you don and and show you the world from where we sit uh, as i said we're, we're working with two and a half thousand msps i think the the the, the one of the big things we've also seen is uh we, we deploy a lot of our solutions locally so we allow people to host uh in their in their neighborhood and that that has really really you know you talk about the international markets the germans the australians uh, and even even in the states people want to host locally there that that's been a huge part of it and i think i see a lot of work uh, in the area of apis as i mentioned to you earlier you know so we we would see what we do really as a platform more than more than anything and accessing platforms such as ours to power your own um cloud is is uh, is hugely becoming hugely popular but uh, Yes, look, security. Uh, we all know it's it's a, it's a hot space. Um, it's important for the for these MSPs, and there's there's some great vendors out there. Okay, not just us. There's some fantastic solutions out there, and I think if you get the mix right, uh, you're 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 flying. And and fundamentally, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to we're trying to protect decent businesses from. Ransomware from malware from you know the the guys I always feel sorry for you know the small graphic design house with four guys there they get hit by a piece of uh, ransomware and people always think it's the ransom that bothers them it isn't the ransom it's the two days they're sitting around doing nothing with the client giving out saying hey hold on what's going on here why didn't you have this looked after so fundamentally that's what we're trying to do here and uh, you know I think I think with all these all these clever people on the right side of the on the right side of the bridge we're we're, we're getting there.
0: Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show with us and and we'll have to get you back on the podcast again, you know, as as our our stories develop and as as Titan HQ continues to grow, uh, you guys really do some excellent work. So thanks again for joining us.
2: No problem. the The only promise I'm looking for, Don, is that the the next time we fly you over here to Ireland and we do it from the the sunny west coast of uh, of Ireland. I'm, I'm sitting here in Galway City, 32 degrees, looking out at the Atlantic, and uh, that's the only promise I ask. Let's let us let us go from here next time. Man, I I would
0: love to make it out there. You know, we were just over in England a couple of weeks ago. We didn't make it over to Ireland or Scotland. I'd I'd love to see the whole set of islands. So. Uh, we'll, we'll have to put that on the agenda.
2: <laughs> okay, next time. Thank you very much for your time, Dan, and and all the team in the background. Thank you.
0: All right, thanks again, Dryden, for appearing with us. And for you, the viewers out there, thank you for watching. But don't go anywhere yet, because the Tech NATO will be back. We've got a couple more news articles to talk about, and then our, our WTF article of the week, which is always fun. So tune back in. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back everybody. That was a, a you know an excellent interview with, with Dryden. It, it's neat to get a different perspective on a lot of the issues we've been talking about, especially GDPR from somebody who is over there in the EU having to work with us. So that was a, a lot of fun. But it's the moment we've been waiting for, at least here in the studio, which is time to tackle the IT news and we've got a, a wide gamut of things uh, that are articles that were mostly selected by me so it's a little bit more Linux and hardware it's, it's heavy because that's what skewed. I like <laughs> yeah it's a Don's skewed view of the news that's right um, but we'll we'll try and keep it fair and balanced one way or another right Daniel yeah and, uh, and let's kick things off. Uh, I, I feel like I have so much freedom without Peter here. This is, I should do this more. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Linux guy. You're a Linux guy. guy. So let's, let's kick this off talking about some Linux news. And there has been a lot. Uh, if you follow the website Pharonix, they have done a great job of covering the news pouring out of Fedora this week. Uh, the Fedora project, which is the—not uh, upstream, but downstream, I guess—for um, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux— Fedora has rolled out a number of changes. One of the big ones that they announced this week was a new operating system, Fedora Core OS. It's the new upstream to Red Hat's Core OS. So uh, not often that we get to see a a new OS. And this is actually following just a a month or two after the collapse of their their modular OS they were working Mm -hmm. on. So uh, neat to see them kind of pick this back up. And I know for me, I had been following Daniel. Did you follow CoreOS? I, I didn't
1: follow CoreOS. No.
0: So if you're not familiar with CoreOS, it was it was basically container Linux. It was Linux optimized to be a, a container server, and uh, Red Hat scooped them up, acquired that that organization, and I was curious to see what they were going to do. So it's already a commercial Linux, so they're selling CoreOS. That was kind of expected, but now Fedora is creating their own spin of it, which is free and cutting edge, right? Just like with uh, Fedora versus Red Hat Enterprise Linux, all the latest and greatest tools and things are tried in Fedora, and once they're found stable, they then move them into RHEL. Well, that's what we're gonna see here with Fedora's CoreOS versus Red Hat's CoreOS. So now the everyman gets
1: a chance to containerize their uh, Linux operating system, and, and play with the big boys, right?
0: Yeah, and you know, what I always enjoyed was if I'm in a, a development environment, if I'm testing, doing research and development, you get access to the new features ahead of time, and so you see how they're going to affect your product so that when they get rolled into the base product, it doesn't blindside you, and all of a sudden you're trying to, to, to figure out what to do. Uh, and some of those changes can be big. I mean, just look at what's coming down the line um uh, really at the beginning of next year, mm-hmm. when uh, they switch from Python 2 being the default to Python 3 being the default, that can really wreck a lot of stuff. Uh, I was
1: going say, that's, that's going to wreck some days. That's going to wreck some people because I, I've actually um, run into that where I've got both Python 2 and 3 on my system, download stuff, try to run Python scripts, and they don't work because everything's conflicting with each other. So yeah, being able to spin up these things that are... Uh, yet to come, but are coming and be able to get ahead of that instead of behind that eight ball is a a very nice feature.
0: Yeah. And and that one, that's going to require some dev work. In some cases, you got to retool your scripts for, for Python 3. Well... Here, it's kind of the same thing on the core OS side. But because it's containers, it's even more critical. Because mm. you know, we, we expect to be able to blindly deploy on these things. So it's neat to see that. We don't always get to see the birth of a new distro. Uh, we do frequently see the death of distros, <laughs> yeah. though. That's no real shortage there. Usually yeah. kind
1: of long and drawn out, and like, a, <laughs> like a gangster's death in a movie.
0: <laughs> All of a sudden, you realize, like, there have been no patches for this distro in eight months. Either yeah. it's the most secure thing in the world, or it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no
1: one cares about it anymore.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that does happen. Um Speaking of Fedora, though, that's a new distro, Fedora Core OS, but regular old Fedora is seeing an update. Fedora 29 is slated to come out soon, and there have been some really, uh, I think, pretty drastic changes that are coming down the pipe, and they haven't come right out and announced this as one big change list, which I'm pretty surprised about, so it kind of requires a little bit of digging. But one of the big things is that starting with Fedora 29, the user path will prioritize local user binaries. Now, this one caught me by surprise because uh, I, I'm going to admit this on the air. I thought it already did. I thought yeah. that if I put a binary in my home directory, in my home directory inside of dot uh, local bin. I thought that would supersede other binaries if they were in, like, slash USR slash right. SPIN or, or whatever. Um, apparently, in Fedora, it didn't. And in Red Hat, it didn't. And I, I had to do some reading on this because where I was confused is that uh, Debian and Ubuntu, they, they do function that way already. Yeah. So this isn't a earth-shattering change. (laughs) A lot of admins like me kind of thought it was already that way. But if you're not expecting it, it it can be a problem, and it was interesting to see some of the news coming out about it.
1: Well, and just the fact that even if it's not that way, probably a lot of people were setting it that way anyway and just going, oh, yeah, I need to prioritize stuff that I work on so that it it actually runs when I need it to run. So it's, again, like you said, not like a, a complete magnitude shift of craziness going on here, something most people are probably doing a lot of anyway.
0: Well, so um, Michael over at Pharonix, he had a really good point uh, that typically if you have a regular non-privileged user account in Linux, you can't write to the slash bin or slash right. sbin folder. You can't write to slash user slash sbin or slash user slash bin. Um, those spaces you, you, you're just not given access to, but you can write to the bin folder in your own home directory inside of .local/bin dot .local slash so. bin or .local slash bin right? It, it's <laughs> yeah. in your home directory, yeah. right? Yeah. So what they were saying was, this potentially makes it easier for malicious software to, to infect a system that uh, you know, maybe somebody creates a, a malicious version of ls, mm-hmm. right, the, the directory list command, and via some drive-by, they cause it to get copied into your user's directory like that. Uh, you'd have permission to write. You wouldn't need privileged access for it. When you executed LS the next time, that local binary in your home directory would be the one that triggers, and in theory, it could facilitate malware, at least for infecting your session, right? Um, But when you think about how several other distros are already doing it, it doesn't really change that attack vector very much. I I don't know. Plus, like, if the malware is able to get
1: onto your system and execute code anyway, how hard would it be to but export path equals whatever you want it to be.
0: Well, all right. Uh, that, that's a really good, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If it's, if just if throw it, that on the fire. Yeah. Cause you, <laughs> you, the user can override the path variable. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so then here I am saying, well, you know, Debian already does it, but even, even if they didn't like, doesn't matter. This attack vector is, yeah. yeah. I, I,
1: I do it all the time as I'm trying to exploit boxes where I'm, I'm limited. So I just change the, the path variable to be one folder so that if somebody used something like they didn't use a fully qualified path for a binary, great. Now I can create a binary that's the exact same name, change the path variable, and it thinks it's that. And it says, you know, run as root.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned run as root. So when it's thrown in the user's home directory or whatever, it is still run under the execution context of that user. Yeah. But if, if it was used in conjunction with some other exploit, right. maybe it could elevate its privileges. And, and then you have a real mm-hmm. a real big one. But yeah, uh, but yeah with... Daniel's suggestion, I guess at the end of the day here, it doesn't really matter. So it is a change in behavior to be aware of. Like maybe maybe right. that's not something you're expecting. And it highlights where changes like these can be made in Fedora very easily and then they see how it pans out. Like, <laughs> oh, let's see how they react to this. And assuming the public at large does okay with it, then the change makes it into Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Well,
1: we've seen how well the whole idea of changing like in it uh, <laughs> <to> <laughs> has worked out. So I'm sure There'll be zero backlash to this at all.
0: (laughs) So, you mean like just like System D, 100% of the people will love it and adopt it overnight? That's exactly what happened. (laughs) I I, I always feel a little guilty when I say, like, I I like System D, but many people out come the pitchforks and the torches. (laughs) And (laughs) And they're at your gate. (laughs) All right. Well, that Uh, is not the only change coming to Fedora. Uh, A big one, and, and this one's been a long time coming, so it's just now kicking in, which is Yum. The Yellow Dog Update Manager, which is the the package manager for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, is finally being retired in Fedora 29. Um, DNF, the Dandified, Dandified Yum, is what that stood for. I'm not sure exactly where the yum know, the comes yum in on that one, in, but, but yeah. Dandified Yum, um, it was introduced many versions ago and it, it, it's better than YUM in, in many, many ways. It does have some dependency issues that it deals with every now and then, but YUM had plenty of those mm. in and of itself. So DNF has been that default package manager. Oh, actually, they, they call it out here. Since, uh, uh, well, it was introduced in Fedora 18, and it's been the default since Fedora 22. So here we are in Fedora 29, several years later, and they're finally getting rid of the YUM command. Now, what does that mean to you, the user? Well... If you're running Red Hat Enterprise Linux, doesn't mean anything. It's going to be you know a few years down the road. I know it's going
1: to break a lot of scripts. <laughs> it's going to break
0: a lot of scripts, and I'm thinking of things like Yum, Cron. Yeah. Right, where some people have uh, Yum set to automatically run an update. Well, there is a way to do that with uh, Auto DNF, so you can kind of make mm-hmm. that happen. But the other thing that I'm wondering about is even with DNF, they still haven't changed the name of the config files. Like if you if you have a repo, it still goes into slash etc slash yum.repos.d, even though it's not yum, it's DNF. Well, now that yum is retiring, it's going to be one of those situations where you have a new tool with old file names, and it creates confusion for new users. Yeah. So hopefully that'll, that'll I, pan out. We're going to
1: have to definitely like harp on the fact that this is dandified yum. And then all those yum things they see are going to make sense to all the new guys that come in and go, what is this yum business?
0: <laughs> well, I uh, I didn't see it in any of the documentation that I read, but I I bet they'll do something like a, a soft link mm-hmm. for the yum command to point to DNF. Because the, the, the syntax of the commands is practically identical. So if you're doing a DNF update or a yum update, you know, if they just link the command, that'll stop scripts from breaking. And they might do that for a little while before killing it off or... Oh, they might keep that forever. Who knows? Yeah, that's
1: their, their favorite plan of attack when they uh, roll out new things that they know. People are like, I'm so used to typing yum, whatever, and now I have to like retrain my brain. Well, now you get to still, like for a while,
0: use that crutch and not to be completely frustrated with your system. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, last one here that we've got from Pharonix, uh, which if you don't go to the Pharonix website, they really do have great coverage of pretty much everything Linux. Um But uh, they had a follow-up article on something we talked about last week. On the podcast last week, Daniel, you weren't weren't here, so I'm not sure if you heard about this or not, but the OpenBSD project, which is really Theo to rat. uh, So Theo came out, and he (laughs) said, look, Spectre, Meltdown, it's a wreck. Intel's patches are a joke. Uh, We're just going to disable hyper-threading in OpenBSD. And by disabling hyperthreading, that mitigates Meltdown Inspector, just gets them out of the picture. We don't have to worry about crazy patches and things coming from Intel or AMD or whoever else. We're just going to kill off hyperthreading. And they made the statement that hyperthreading doesn't really help most workloads anyway. So most people don't really care. Let's just kill it off. And that's that. Uh, So that was news last week. Well, if if you like us, some of you out there in TV land are probably scratching your head saying, Well, wait a minute, I I thought hyperthreading was good. I thought it did something and in increased performance.
1: That's what I was always told.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I, I will say, so I, I uh, uh, I've taught a lot of VMware training over the years. And with VMware, when you were doing any of the like automated load balancing and stuff and it was evaluating performance of the servers, mm-hmm. hyperthreading would wreak havoc with that. Because hmm. like let's say you had a quad core processor, right? You have four four cores. And if you had hyperthreading, now it showed up as having eight cores. But you didn't really have eight cores. That if, if you had two workloads that could simultaneously exist on the same core without overlapping, then yeah, it was like you had two cores. But that didn't always happen. And so a lot of times you had two workloads that slightly overlapped, and so you couldn't take advantage of hyperthreading. So while you might show as having eight CPUs, you were really only able to carry the workload of like five or six CPUs. And so it skewed all the performance numbers. You'd look at hardware and think that it was a fifty percent utilization when it was really just maxed out with unique workloads that overlapped. Mm. Uh, and so in the in the VMware data centers that I've worked in, a lot of the times we would disable hyperthreading so that we got proper performance reporting. And you were giving up performance, but you were doing it so that you got more accurate numbers, which meant a more stable environment and better balancing of workload across the the hardware. So, so that was kind of
1: it. Depending on what your environment looks like, you may have already been doing this. Maybe. But yeah.
0: Now, I will say, I, I did that on, on VMware, like with right. vSphere and ESXi. Uh, outside of that, though, like if I was just deploying a bare metal Windows machine or Red Hat Enterprise Linux, I, I always you left hyperthreading on. Yeah, because... Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Maybe the I speed. will get that extra power. That's right. I, I, you had made a comment earlier today about like, hey, if I'm if I'm paying for that, I, I, yeah, I, I want to get the it. performance.
1: I'm, I'm like, even if it gives me a you know a one percent increase in performance,
0: hey, why not, right? Yep. And so uh, you know, but last week the news was was really current, and so we just didn't have a way to report on that and say what what it was like. Well, over at Phoronix, they specialize in doing uh, a lot of hardware benchmarking. And we, we used some of their benchmarks back when the Spectrum Meltdown exploit patches were released, where they said that they could impact performance up to 40%. But then in benchmarks, we saw the numbers were actually much lower. So what uh, what Michael did over at Feronix is he basically took some hardware and he ran some benchmarks. Now, he wanted to use an operating system that was a little more common. The OpenBSD is not all that common. Uh, so he took Ubuntu, uh, Ubuntu Linux 18.04, and he disabled hyper-threading in it. And then he went and ran some benchmarks. And what he found was that while the the difference was not crazy super significant, there is certainly a difference. And if you look like, uh, here is his Blender benchmark. This is showing uh, where if hyperthreading was if was enabled, that there was a certain benchmark that he could run that would complete in 1,286 uh, 1, seconds. And that with hyperthreading disabled, it was 1,843 seconds. That's a difference of, I mean, almost 600 seconds, like 10 10 minutes. That's, uh, that's a that's a workload that would have finished 10 minutes earlier with hyperthreading turned on. By graptar's hammer. Yeah. What a savings! <laughs> what a savings! <laughs> so, so uh, you know that that's a big deal, yeah. right? And if I tell you, hey, here's this switch, and if you flip it, stuff gets done 10 minutes faster. Yeah. And then the next thing you do, that's going to get done 10 minutes faster.
1: People want to flip that switch. Yeah, they do. They <laughs> want that switch flipped.
0: <laughs> so so now we're left with this decision, right? So, so Daniel, what do you do? Do you, do you leave it on? Turn it off? What do you, what do you think? I'm turning that sucker on and every, all day long. <laughs> all right. I think the moral of the story is that you need to understand what goes behind that decision, right? That, and this is for each and every one of you out there in TV land and us sitting right here, that – if I worked for Microsoft in their Azure data center, and I was dealing with multiple customers on shared hardware, and I knew that one customer could take advantage of Meltdown or Spectre or whatever to potentially read cached processor information from the, the other customer's data, I can't have that. And so for them, disabling hyperthreading hurts performance, but it increases security. If security is your concern, you want that. You want to have that protection, and this is a way to guarantee it, right? But if I'm a home user and I'm about to fire up, uh, I don't know what what video game is popular with the kids these days. Um, Fortnite, right? Yeah. So I want oh, and I need to shoot people in the face as fast <laughs> as I can, right? Minecraft, little thing. <laughs> I guess mean, probably really comes down to video card more than general processor, but yeah. but either way, uh, I'm gonna want every bit of performance I can get, and, and if I paid my hard dollars for that CPU, I want the best it can do. And security at that level, like if somebody already compromised my hardware to take advantage of, of Spectre uh, and Meltdown, well, it's it's my system. It's not even shared. Yeah. So, do they already have access <laughs> yeah, to everything on my. You're in. <laughs> yeah. So, so for a home user, I, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping hyperthreading on. Yeah. Even right. if it didn't, they don't care anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah, they're writing passwords down. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: taped on the monitor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the,
0: the the complexity of the attack, uh, it, it's definitely targeted towards cloud vendors. But it is interesting to see this, that uh, it's a pretty extreme way to go about it, because you could say, you know what, I'm not going to disable hyperthreading, I'm going to wait for Intel to fix this, or I'm going to yeah. wait and, and hope that even though they've already released several patches, that uh, maybe they've already fixed it, maybe it's done. A lot of times it isn't. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. But uh, uh but it does go to show that it, it's not without its price. And and if you look at it, he, he ran like fifteen different bench was benchmarks. Um <laughs> uh, but every one of them was similar, that there was always a difference. Um, you know, here's the parboil that he ran, uh, which was over one second faster with hyper threading enabled than disabled. Uh and when we're talking one second out of a eight point four second runtime or 10 second runtime, that's a 10, 12% yeah difference that uh, that makes a difference. Oh that's a stupid thing for me to say but uh, <laughs> it did get <laughs> it's your point. Different. across, Don. <laughs> <laughs> All right we said we'd report the news. we didn't say we'd be intelligent about yeah, it no. uh, so so anyhow, interesting to see that and just across the board, uh, that was what you were getting. Uh, I will remind you if you do sit down and dig through all these benchmarks, they are great, but be aware that some benchmarks, Higher numbers are better. Sometimes lower numbers are better. It's like watching golf versus basketball. Yeah, you, you need yeah. to understand the scoring Shanks system. Check metrics.
1: He does put a little thing in the top left-hand corner of each one of the benchmarks oh. to tell you. Oh, yeah. Like, seconds, yeah. in seconds, is less is better, more is better. So yeah, definitely something to pay attention
0: to. All right. Uh, well, I think we have uh, run through a good bit of Linux news. So let's uh, let's move on is to that. Is there anything else? <laughs> well, there were a couple of interesting ones that, that popped in. Let's see. What are we going to do next here? Uh, Microsoft. Microsoft has been making some various announcements, some things have uh, have been happening, and um, we've been seeing some previews for the next big Windows update that's coming out, and I can't remember if we reported on this or not. I think it was reported on when I was out of town hmm. that Microsoft was previewing their tabbed windows feature. And uh, Daniel, have you ever seen the tabbed windows feature?
1: Yeah, it's kind of cool. I I saw the little uh, marketing campaign that they had about how neat it was, where you open up one window, and inside of that window, you can create another tab that's to something else inside of the Windows operating system. It did look pretty cool. Um, I can't imagine that I would use it a whole lot, um, just because I don't use Windows a whole lot, (laughs) to
0: be honest with you. But a neat idea. I mean, if you think about it, like the tabbed browsing, right. I, I couldn't imagine a web browser without tabs anymore. It's true. Right? It's true. Um, imagine if you had a command prompt that was just tabbed by default. I didn't have a tab. Well, so <laughs> if you're a Linux user or whatever, I, I'm used to that. But in the Windows world, yeah. you didn't have that. PowerShell, That's command prompt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you could get a third-party product, but, but yeah. it would be nice if it was built in. Uh, your file explorer. Instead of opening these different windows, how about giving us some tabs instead yeah. of the navigation bar on the left side, which is uh, you know it is useful yeah. but, but cluttered. Um, it would be nice to have all these different things be tabbed. The interesting thing here is they threw out this preview uh, last year. I think it was before the Fall Creators update. Hmm. Uh, and then they yanked the feature right before it came out. And then here in our new preview builds, it came back. And so people are like, okay, this is it. It's finally – it's going to come. Well, no. Right. So <laughs> – So it's been yanked. If you've been excited about the tabbed window feature, Ars Technica reports on it that the feature's gone. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it's not temporarily gone. It, it's gone for this next release. To ixnay that sucker. Well, it, it might come back in the next preview for the next big update. For... I wonder what the the up and down with it is is being caused from. It's got to be application compatibility. Yeah. Right? Like, if an application is not designed to have tabs, and all of a sudden you put tabs around it. you're trying to
1: shoehorn that in there, and yeah. it's
0: just killing it. I, all day long, I've been racking my brain trying to remember, um, I had a program, I think it was by Stardock or somebody mm-hmm. like that, uh, years ago, it, 10 12 years ago that did exactly this, that would let you take any application and stick tabs around it. And some applications played nice. Some didn't some, like uh, I would bring up a command prompt. And then if I moved to another tab and came back, it wouldn't accept text input anymore. Like it just never regained focus Mm -hmm. like that, that kind of stuff would happen. Uh, I have to imagine that's what it is. The first thing I thought of was there used to be a, a web browser called ghostzilla.
1: And what it did was whatever open window you had you Had these like swipe uh, with your mouse uh, maneuvers, and it would actually open the browser inside of. So, if I had Word open,
0: oh, I remember right, that. Right?
1: Yeah. And then, if your boss came, you could swipe right really fast, and it would bring you back to.
0: And it had a black and white uh, mode, yeah, right? And yeah. so, it, I remember that. It was that. super it was cool. Cool. awesome, yeah, it was. <laughs> How, so how much productivity would you say you've wasted? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I was
1: not a productive member Ghost-Zilla, of society. I life. wonder
0: if that still exists. That, uh, yeah, it, I'll, it would, look it I'll look it up. It would, it would take over a part of the window of whatever application you were in, so you could stick it in Microsoft Word or yeah, Excel or whatever. Somewhere. Yeah, it just looked like you were in a document. You're actually browsing the web. On. Oh Man, that was a long it time was ago. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so,
1: so there is still a website. Yeah. It still exists. Visicord, Ghostzilla. it is here. Which um, I don't know how long ago it's been. <laughs> let me let me just mention you this. can get fired. Yeah,
0: because you know a lot of people thought like, all right. So when somebody walks up to my computer, they can't see what I'm browsing, right? But right. But the IT team, well, Daniel and I worked at an insurance company together yeah. years ago. Yeah. And um, do you remember? and I, I won't go into too much detail, but there was a gentleman who was browsing inappropriate content. Yes. Um Do you recall this. <laughs> and so they they gave him a warning, and they said, "Look, you're." You're browsing some naughty stuff, and that's not allowed. You yeah, gave him a hand slap. I, and I managed the web filter, so I, I generated the report that showed a laundry list of sites that were like, quite bizarre. what did you
1: do besides
0: and this? Really, like, I don't understand how he got any work done. Nice. But, uh, so so anyhow, uh, a week or two later, they asked me to pull the report again. I pulled a report on this guy, and here it is, a whole laundry list more. And apparently, he thought we were just... Pulling his chain, like, oh, you can't see what I'm doing. Or, or maybe he was using yeah. something like Gozilla. And what he didn't understand was yeah, we might not be able to see it on your monitor, but, but every web request you make, you cross the network, we control yeah. the network. And so Solar Lens uh, goes, hey, look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 we, we used WebSense. To, yeah. Oh, WebSense. It web, yeah, it was actually, all in yeah. the WebSense logs back then. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah here, you know, I'm, I'm pulling it up on my computer. I found the Gozilla page. So here they're showing an email. Wow, this is Outlook Express. Yeah. This is really dated. Is super old. I, I have to see if this still works. But um, see so yeah, how they're in Outlook. And it looks like he's reading an email, but that's actually a web browser embedded right there inside of the preview window. Uh, and it goes light gray like this, so you kind of mask right, it. It kind of like blends in. Yeah. Well, that was, that was good stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyhow, not tech news, but no. now I, I certainly have something I want to check out <laughs> after the show. But if you were looking for that tab feature and hoping it was finally going to come out, uh, your dreams are dashed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well. But uh, but there you go. I, I, I do have you to. Can imagine. always download Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, gotta be compatibility. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to some other stuff. Android Police had an interesting article on some new stuff that Google is doing in the Android space. Uh, Google has officially rolled out digitally signed applications in the Google Play App Store. Um, Digitally signed applications are pretty common in Mm macOS, in Windows. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that they weren't common already in the Android space, but apparently they weren't. I
1: I, I smell DRM. Yeah. yeah, Well,
0: (laughs) so the idea here is that when you download an app from the Google App Store, how do you know it hasn't been modified? How do you know that somebody hasn't messed around with it? Well, they can digitally sign it so that if the package is modified in any way, it fails a DRM check, it won't run, and, and there you go, you're, you're protected. There are lots of people who take the APKs, right, the yeah. application packages that are used in Android, and they open them up, because you can, you can open them up, there's APK unpackers out there like crazy, uh, and then you can inject malware into them, repack them, and post them wherever you want. That's one of the reasons why uh, malware on Android is far more prevalent than iOS, because iOS won't let you sideload stuff, Unless you go through their whole developer hoops and jump through that with Android, anybody can sideload. You just turn on that uh, what's that setting called? Uh, un not untrusted sources, but un, unknown sources. Oh, it's a yeah. you go in something, the developer options on your phone. Source, something like that. It is enable That it even like when it blocks an app, it even offers to take you right to that screen so you can turn it on. They make it easy for you to disable that. Uh, so Google rolled out this feature, and a lot of people said exactly what Daniel said, which is. Oh great! They're starting to package in DRM, yeah. but uh, but so far that hasn't been seen. I mean, they could, uh, but they're the, still I allowing guess it to The fear island.
1: is that like this is the slippery slope that we fall down, and uh, eventually that's what it'll be. And only stuff from
0: uh, our approved vendors will you can you install. And yeah. now we're
1: trying to jail or uh, root stuff.
0: So I mean, here's here's the thing. Like if I were to download the Facebook APK, right, and crack it open and inject malware into it, right? And then send it out. Well, it was digitally signed, so the digital signature is now broken. So when somebody tries to install it, they'll see that, and they right. won't install it. Save the day, right? Yep. But if I'm going to go through the trouble to break open the APK and modify it, I can just strip out the signature. Yeah. Right? So and then— you need to get
1: a signature prompt.
0: Yeah. So now they wouldn't even know. I mean, it's just an unsigned APK at that right. point, and people have been installing those all along anyway. So I, I, don't, I don't see how this is going to do any good without DRM stuck on it. Uh, like, I mean— that really the, the digital signature eventually would have to be like some kind of key to decrypt the data inside of the apk that's And when the right. signature is gone the apk is gone like i imagine it it will have to lead to drm but as of right now in its, its current implementation it's not yeah you know? um i, I just don't know how effective this will be have, have you ever messed with android uh, apks oh, no, like no 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 uh, that's that's so, So (laughs) yeah, and and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of products out there like um, Lucky Patcher. If you ever get bored, look it up. Don't install it, but look it up. You cannot find it from a trusted site, that's for sure. But it's a, a software suite that is specifically designed to like disable in-app purchases and oh. disable DRM checks and oh, I'm downloading that so, right now. So if about? you're an Android pirate, like <laughs> this automates the whole way to pirate software and yeah. that is why you see these these third-party Android stores that are packed full of free AAA titles, you know stuff that would be $8, $10, $20 in the Android yeah. App Store that's free. And if they're going to go through the trouble to break the DRM, why not stick a little Bitcoin currency miner in the background?
1: It's and, a victimless crime, everyone. Come I on. know.
0: <laughs> you know, they, they, they deserve a little Ethereum that's for the right. work they're putting in, right? Uh, so so that's that's the trade-off, and that's when your mobile device gets compromised, which is probably the worst thing you could have <laughs> yeah. get compromised, because, I mean, think of all the personal information that goes through your
1: phone. Yeah. Okay. It is the biggest, like, that attack vector is the big one that's—
0: if. If you don't already
1: see that as uh, being the biggest problem in the future, in the near future, the very near future, then you've got blinders on. Because how many, how many mobile devices are out there running an Android operating system? A lot. Yeah. Right. So they're they're just they're primed to be the big attack vector
0: now. You know, you give somebody access to your phone number, your voicemail, your text mm-hmm. messages, um, text messages, uh, text messages. That'll break up a lot of uh, multi-factor authentication mm-hmm. that uses text. Like they they could get access to that. Um, more importantly, your uh, specific GPS location data, so they can yeah. see where you are, where you've been. Uh, if they can compromise other applications, you know, maybe I, I do a lot of shopping for my phone these days. So, so now access to that stuff that normally would be limited to my computer, but I'm just as likely to buy stuff on my phone because I, I think about something right now. I'm like, oh, I need to buy that before yeah. I forget.
1: Don, you happen to have a hammer over there? I'm gonna. That's I just f- need that
0: for a second. No reason. You know. <laughs> Every now and then, maybe this is a, a psychological problem, and let me see if, if you have this too. Okay. I just, I get this urge to take like a cell phone or whatever and ram it screen first on the corner of a table. Do you ever get that <laughs> oh, feeling? Yeah. Like Are you I, it just—it's it, weird. Like, at least no. I don't know once a week, twice it's not a week. Weird if everybody's having it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like I just want to see, the, uh, crush yes. it right on the corner. But anyhow, you yeah, should that, buy like an old Nokia. and... <laughs> I've got... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's probably got one laying around. We'll do that on the Just show next smash week. Smash that sucker. <laughs> have a whole Slake serious. that lust, right? on, Daniel, destroy technology. <laughs> one device at a time. Will it blend? <laughs> all right. Speaking of destroying technology, we learned this week that all of our access points are going to go in the trash because the Wi-Fi Alliance certified WPA3, the newest level of wireless encryption. That's right. WPA2, old and busted. WPA3, new hotness. Yep. And, uh, you know, we... We've talked about WPA3 a bit because it was actually uh, it was approved way back in I think it was in November or whatever. But now it's the Wi-Fi Alliance who actually certifies equipment for it. So now we'll actually start to see equipment with WPA3. Uh, and Daniel, you you deal with the security world. Do mm. you um, do you know the specifics on what happened to WPA2? So they were able with quantum computing to break the oh, encryption. Quantum cipher. computers, if, if
1: I'm not mistaken, that's what happened. Plus, yeah. people still tend to use like. Really weak uh, keys for the personal stuff, so like you c- you can crack that pretty easily.
0: Yeah. So that's a problem. So quantum computers, Scott Bakula tried to warn us. Nobody <laughs> he did listened. Do that. Yeah. And uh, so so anyhow. <laughs> nice nice quantum <laughs> oh, leap reference there. He <laughs> um, was terrible in Star Trek Enterprise, but yeah. quantum leap was good. Oh, it was a great. Show. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyhow, WPA three it is more secure, which is exciting. Uh, it is going to be the way of the future. We certainly want to go to it. But if you're asking yourself, if you're holding out hope and saying, ooh, I wonder if they'll push that as a software update to my hardware. Um, Daniel, do you remember when WPA2 came out? Um... I don't, actually. Uh, So I I remember going through that, and it was not a software update. It was buy new hardware. It was buy new hardware. And and it's not just (laughs) your your access points. (laughs) It's got to be supported on both sides. Your operating system has to support it, your wireless card has to support it, and your router. And back then, I remember I had this PCMCIA card in my laptop. So I took it out, dropped it in the trash, (laughs) bought a new one, popped it in, and now I had WPA2. Well, what about my laptop now? Right. I'm you, not dropping that in the trash. Wi-Fi is integrated in the motherboard, yeah. right? The antennas are run through the monitor, and you can't just swap those out. I'm not going to go buy a new laptop for WPA3, and that means we're likely looking at a slow rollout on this, unless they do just magically somehow come out with some software update to do it. Uh, and to replace routers, like, I just got new routers at home, or a new <laughs> router and, and Wi-Fi mesh stuff. I, I have to replace my Wi-Fi mesh. The thing's not even a month old. Jeez. So WPA3 is going to be a bit down the road. The WPA2 exploit, it's one of those theoretical exploits where it's it's proven that it can be done, so we're not in super danger. But the thing I always recommend to people and the thing that I do myself is I never, never count on wireless encryption Hmm. because wireless encryption can never be as good as what you do with IPSec or VPN tunnels, right? When I go to a hotel and I jump on their wireless, I don't care if it's open or WPA2 or WEP, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Cuz I'm not going to trust any of it. I'm going to build up a tunnel. I'm going to do, you know, something to make sure that I know what the security level is set. That I know the key. I'm the one who who created that. VPNs give you that that functionality. So, if you're panicking over this, don't. <laughs> just just know that WPA2 is not great and you need to supplement it with something else. Yeah. And and when WPA3
1: becomes like more of a thing, you'll be, it's be time to transfer over to that anyway. And to just be prepared. That's what I, I've never understood that about new technology comes out, right? It's something that's going to increase security or functionality or whatever. And there's just people that hold on to that old and junky technology. No, I say it's junky. It's just old, right? It's, it's not as good as the new stuff. If you see that coming down the road, we've been, there it is. It's in black and white in front of, in front of you be prepared you're gonna to want to spend some money when it comes time to do that, so that you can be on the uh, on the right side of security and just just be ready for it. That's that's always what you can do.
0: Now there is one quote from this article that really stood out for me, and, and th- this article is coming straight from the Wi-Fi Alliance. So this is their their official press release. Uh, they put in here where they were talking about WPA3 Personal and how it mm-hmm. was was introducing levels of security uh, and WPA3 Enterprise. And the sentence that I I just want to highlight right here is where it says WPA3 Enterprise offers the equivalent of 192-bit cryptographic strength. All right. Now that word equivalent has piqued my interest enough mm. that I want to go and read the actual standard for WPA3 because in my experience, whenever somebody says the equivalent, it's BS, <laughs> right? Like, and uh, and Danny, you probably remember this triple DES. Oh yeah, right. So regular old DES was what it was like 40-bit encryption, yeah, it was right? Yeah, super low. Yeah. And the idea behind triple DES was that you encrypt something with DES. And then you encrypt it again with, with DES. And then yeah. you encrypt it a third time with DES, right? And by the time it's done, what do you have? Is it 120-bit? Is it, you know, Just 40 takes times three? to crack it, yeah. Well, but they found where there was some kind of flaw in the algorithm where it wasn't even three times the level of security. It ended up being like 2.2 times the level yeah. of security because of this flaw. And so it wasn't as good as, as people thought it was. So when they say it's the equivalent of 192-bit cryptographic strength... Yeah. I want to find out what that means, and you'll, it, you'll
1: be glad to know that uh, a lot of banking institutions still use Triple DES for their
0: ATMs. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, and Triple their, DES is not their PCI considered compliance. safe. I mean, yeah. even SHA one is not considered nope. safe. Uh, SHA SHA two fifty six is really what you should be yep. using today or higher. Um, but yeah, no, you just payment see. card industry
1: is hanging on to, and I know they're trying to do something to increase the 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 strength behind that, but still Triple DES. Yeah, rocking on. Yeah,
0: or you know what I'm, I'm saying? SHA, which is a uh, hashing, the hashing um, on the, the encryption progress. side, it would be AES, right? AES, in in 256, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, AES two fifty six. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm but sure But if you with
1: five twelve or higher, that's the winning rock. Yeah, if
0: yeah. you can. Yeah, and and that used to be a problem because your hardware couldn't keep up with it. Right. Right. You'd have to sacrifice sacrifice throughput for security. But hardware's advanced so much, and Intel CPUs actually have acceleration built into them for AES. Mm-hmm. So you, you can really Go crank through. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But anyhow, uh, moral of the story here, WPA3 is out. It's exciting. You want it, but don't be in a hurry. It'll probably be a couple of years. Um, I, I remember with WPA2, my holdout device at home, I had two things. I had a VoIP phone. That didn't have WPA2 support, and the Nintendo Wii, <laughs> the original <laughs> Wii, only yeah. had WPA support, uh-huh. not WPA2. And finally, I just said, "Screw it, that's it." I, you know, I, I've got to get yeah. moved over to WPA2. And so we just shut them off. If, if you ran <laughs> in mixed mode, that right. that kind of invalidated the whole thing. You're basically,
1: just dropping back to WPA,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So speaking of hardware, this is a, a fun one. Uh, if Peter were here, he'd make fun of me and my obsession with the uh, size of SD cards. <laughs> Uh, So, uh, there have been some uh, announcements about some advancements in SD card storage. And so, this week we found out that uh, SD cards are coming with up to 128 terabyte storage capacity. That is pretty impressive for an SD card. uh, And up to 985 megabytes per second speed, so almost a gigabyte uh, per second with NVMe and PCIe interfaces. That's a big deal. That's a that's a serious SD card right Don, there. Don, I
1: cannot wait to purchase one of these and slide it right in the side of my Oh, that's right. They took away that on my
0: macbook well i have uh, the little uh, dongle thingy i will say though that um it it wouldn't necessarily matter right because what they're saying here is that it's got to be nvme or pcie uh bus and when you normally plug into one of those sd card readers a lot of times they're on a usb 2 bus so you're just going to get throttled anyway right? because yeah and sd cards aren't most sd cards can't even operate at the usb 3 speeds so they do a usb 2 bus to save money on those and nobody notices because it's all the same so i probably
1: have to buy some sort of replicator or whatever anyway. anyway right yeah
0: or or to again to get through a couple name, of years I, go by HBC. maybe new laptops come out and yeah and if old johnny ive hasn't killed off all our ports by then then maybe they work <laughs> yeah uh or who knows maybe it'll be a new technology you just lick the card and stick yeah. it on and <laughs> <laughs>
2: <It's> <laughs> but a... uh
0: over at tom's hardware they had some uh, great diagrams showing what the speed looks like on this stuff uh talking about like high-speed SD Express, and going all the way up to PCIe Gen 3, and you see how gigantic a, a jump a that leap. is. Uh, yeah. It's a big deal. So this is certainly the future. Uh, they call it SD Express uh, and what these memory cards are going to be like. Uh, they have another chart down here. Here we go, where it kind of breaks it down. Uh, now, do bear in mind that 985 megabytes per second, that sounds pretty fast, mm-hmm. but if you've got a SSD... Especially an NVMe, one those are normally operating at six gigabytes, not at one gigabyte like this. So these are still not as fast as your your traditional SSD. So it's not like I'm going to say, that's it, I'm using SD cards for everything. Yeah. Uh, we're still going to have a need for SSDs, which are also continuing to get faster and bigger on a regular basis. So, uh, anyhow, cool stuff. Good stocking stuffers. Yeah, right? definitely. Uh, 128 terabyte SSDs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, SD cards. wonder if my DSLR will take that? <laughs> you know that, just like WPA3, your right. hardware has to support right. it. So you what do you want? Pop it in your phone and it shows up as a 4 gig card. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had? I, I've had that happen with like oh, 128 man. gig and then you take it and you smash it on the corner of a desk. D- <laughs> You're see? <laughs> You're this mad. Is, this is what drives technology. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's jump over to the folks at Slashdot. They had an interesting security article. So in the the security space. A uh, couple of interesting things in security news. This one dealt with SWAN uh, uh, video surveillance systems, right? Uh, I'm sure. What are those called? Not DVRs. Um, home security yeah. recorders. What were those called? I have no idea. Oh, they got a name. Like like DVR. But I anyhow, security system. Surveillance recorders. Yeah.
2: yeah. All right. Well, yeah. maybe Go we need that.
0: to make an acronym. Yeah. But uh, SWAN had a little bit of a problem where... Uh, a customer of their security cameras started receiving video footage from another customer, (laughs) right? So uh, notifications of motion and entry and and seeing video footage. So basically giving them a window into some complete stranger's house. Now... uh, Fortunately, or, or possibly, it wasn't my like bathroom if, cam, was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was the one in the closet. I was like, oh, so, no. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately for Swan, uh, or fortunately for the rest of us, uh, the person who was receiving the video happened to work for a, uh, a news agency. That's <laughs> the, serendipitous. So, so, uh, so, this got brought up. Uh, uh, it was a, a BBC employee. Uh, uh-huh. And so, the, the news broke here. Basically, what happened, and this is pretty interesting, is that accidentally, mm. at Swan headquarters, apparently, they had two cameras that were given the exact same identity. And so when customer one's camera ran out of battery power, they took it off to charge it. Customer two's video footage now started getting sent to them because the two cameras had the same identity. This goes back a long way to technology like Mac addresses, right? Media access control addresses. Those layer two addresses that are burned into every network adapter. In theory, they're supposed to be globally unique but it's actually not uncommon to encounter two cards that have been accidentally burned with the same MAC address.
1: Human error is something you can't patch very easily.
0: Yeah, and I, on the computer side, we see this a lot because of virtual machines, where it, it's really easy to have two VMs with the same MAC address. On the hardware side, it's far less common, but it has happened. I, I've experienced it twice in my IT career, where I've come across two devices that had the same MAC address through unintentional vendor error. Mm. And uh, and when that happens, traffic sent to one is being delivered to the other. Now, what makes this one more spectacular than that, MAC addresses, that's local traffic, right? right. Traffic in your network. So at least it's two machines on a network that you control. Here, Metro this is over, Can you this over the internet. If you have a good ISP, they're blocking, controlling that, right? It shouldn't happen. Uh, They should have uh, like layer three or MPLS tunnels or whatever that's in there protecting from that. But in this case, it was over the internet, Mm -hmm. right? Two completely different customers that the mistake, the problem was at Swan headquarters. And (laughs) so anytime you're using a cloud-connected device like this, that device has to have an identity, and if another device has the same identity, now you run into a problem. You could have – and here it's a security camera, which is like worst-case scenario. Yeah. But, I mean, it could be your, your uh, cloud-enabled scale. And yeah. so one day you weigh in at 180 pounds, and the next day you weigh in at 300 pounds. And you're like, what the heck? <laughs> and and you know, It's just somebody else's weight came in. And
1: we were just talking about this on the Ask Me Anything about IoT. Why is IoT such a concern? this is why things like this, because to the rush to market to get things just to make that money. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But when you're sacrificing your, and your user experience and security to make that money, that's when the problem comes in. Now the article does say that the user was prompted to say, this device is already paired and they ignored it and continued on. And therefore they received the the feed. So there was a a bit of something. There wasn't just a, Hey, here's someone's uh, video feed.
0: Yeah, it, I, there was something. I thought that was a bit of a cop out answer, though. Like uh, it, it could it, be. It's not the customer's fault. No, whether it's a not pop-up the customer's fault. Not.
1: But there was at least there was some mechanism that said, "Hey, something is afoot. Something is not normal. Yeah, you might want to check that out."
0: Yeah, I, I suppose if I got a message that said it was already paired to an account, I would probably call tech support. But yeah. imagine. Imagine how that tech support call would go, right? Because right. you're going to get that's some impossible. some tier one yeah. help desk person who's reading in a manual, and, and this is an impossible situation, and that's likely what happened here. And yeah, uh, you know, you end up getting the runaround, and before you know it, how you're... many
1: times though have you said that's impossible, and they went, check this out, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you go, uh, that should be impossible. Yeah. I remember hearing that. Uh, you remember Bill? Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I heard him say those were that's impossible. And then we turn around and show him. he goes, that should be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> we go, well, it's happening. <laughs>
0: yeah, it should is one of my favorite words in IT. And yeah. I always tell people that you'd think computers were all ones and zeros. Yeah. Things would either work or they wouldn't. But um, I blame Microsoft mostly for introducing this gray area in between the one and zero. <laughs> like they were a, a, a really advanced into quantum computing ahead of time. Like yeah, they we're, we're going
1: to make things sort of work. <laughs> Maybe it works. just depends on whether or not you're observing it.
0: <laughs> all right, let's see. Um, now, I, I had a tough time this week with our our crazy article, our, our WTF. Kidding. I had two. Um, one is not so much WTF. There was actually a big, big breaking article earlier this week that came out about a gentleman who said he could bypass the lock screen on iOS. Mm-hmm. And this is a big deal, that he could do it via the USB port, or not USB, the lightning port, uh, and that he could get around the counter for incorrect uh uh pin right you get, you, know, you get
1: so many tries before it says yeah this device is now like totally bricked or whatever
0: yep and what he was saying was if i hook a keyboard up to that lightning port you're know, using adapters or whatever that he could then present the key presses as fast as he wanted and it wouldn't it wouldn't trip that counter for failed attempts and he could try as many times as he wanted and he could get in and for me when i saw that initial announcement i thought well, maybe this is the way those unlock boxes work because right. there's a, a vendor out there that's selling a box that you plug into the Lightning gray port. key or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, Graylock, gray gray key, something like that. Graykey, yeah. And and so I thought, hey, maybe this is how they work. Well, a couple of the news agencies that were reporting this couldn't recreate it. Apple goes and, and reviews it, and they said actually, it's not working. What the guy yeah. is trying, most of the the pin codes that he's sending to it aren't even being processed at all. So whether they're right or wrong doesn't matter, and so it's not working. So it's a bit of a, a false start. And Cult of Mac had a good write up of it uh, on their website. Uh, you know, it's their their original headline was "Hacker discovers bypassing iPhone passcode limit just requires a keyboard." Pretty significant, right? Yeah. But then they followed up on that to say, "Well, actually, it doesn't quite work that way." So it looks like the uh, the the system is still secured, at least as according to Apple, and uh, and we'll see. But uh, there is obviously some kind of vulnerability on the Lightning port because otherwise, a gray key wouldn't be in business. Right. And uh, so that's well, just they, a,
1: they've just introduced that whole idea of making the Lightning port only for power after like an hour of non-use or something. I, I think
0: it was like 48 hours. There were, there were two things. It was 48 hours after you had logged in, or right. seven days after it had powered off, or something something like that. There were right. these two different times of window, but that's not really fixing the problem. That, that's kind of like uh, OpenBSD turning off hyperthreading, yeah. right? right? Like it's still there. Spectrum <laughs> meltdown is still there. You just can't use it. And that's how they're saying is, like, we're going to take our ball and go home. Yeah. We're going to turn off Lightning port. So there is still some kind of exploit. If right. somebody gets your phone in that window of time, it's still open. So Apple does still have to figure that out. And uh, I'd, I'd be really surprised if they didn't figure that out soon, if they haven't already. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, with, with the case of the, the gray key, um, they were pretty affordable, uh, I think it was like $15,000 yeah. to get the gray key box. So, if they got blocked, they really mm-hmm. wouldn't feel bad about it versus some of the vendors out there that have sold these exploits for over a million dollars. That's crazy. And if all of a sudden that exploit's not valid, valid or valid anymore, all that value goes away. Mm. So, yeah, who knows. All right. Uh, so that was that was one candidate, but the one that I settled on was this guy right here. Betting giant BetVictor leaked a list of its own internal systems password. This was on ZDNet. And this one was like just the most grievous violation of sysadmin policy. Uh, There's so many things wrong with the situation. This right
1: here is why you should start a bug bounty program. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So so, um, problem number one is that somebody inside of BetVictor kept a document of all of their systems and the associated passwords that go along with them. Basically, the keys of the kingdom. A list of passwords is one thing. A list of usernames is another thing. But a list of the usernames, the passwords, and the systems they go to, <laughs> along with their IP addresses, like detailed data, like everything yeah. you need to know, that is a just a recipe for disaster to all be stored in one place in a simple document. But what pushes this one over the edge is when you take that document and you add it, to your knowledge base that's customer-facing <laughs> that anybody can search and find. Like This is I, a stroke of brilliance right here. It, it
1: really. It, <laughs> They're like, you know, I'm having a hard time remembering those <laughs> usernames and passwords and what associated device they go to. I'll just put it in the knowledge base. That'll make it easy. I can just search it out. Yeah, so
0: so ZDNet actually has a, a screenshot of this, which is pretty funny, where they went into the knowledge base of the BetVictor site, and they just typed in the word admin in the knowledge base search, and the first one that comes up is an article called Login Slash Links to Back Offices Dash Internal. <laughs> Turns out, if you put Dash Internal in the subject line, it doesn't actually protect the document. <laughs> I wonder if they added, like, Dash Encrypted to yeah, the end of some yeah. file. Now it's <laughs> so, encrypted. <laughs> so uh, this one... Uh, you know, I, I laugh. It's funny because I, I don't work for them. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, this is a nightmare. Uh, but this one boils down to human error, yeah. right? So here was some kind of document that was maintained by the sysadmin team. Uh, I, I assume the sysadmin team. Uh, and then it was just placed in the wrong place. That place ended up being public. And here we've got a problem. And you see this with people like who accidentally leaked their AWS keys via yeah. GitHub or other resources where we can accidentally turn something public that we didn't intend to be. Now... We don't know exactly how it got there yet, or at least it hasn't been disclosed to the public. This might not be the sysadmins team's fault. So, you know, we, we kinda joke about it and you immediately think about blaming them, but it's the CISO. He did it. <laughs> it, it could be the CEO, oh, right? That's true. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of chief executives out there, right? CEOs who aren't IT people, right? They're, they're business people, they're they're visionaries, they have ideas. And here they have a company that relies on a lot of tech systems, systems that they don't understand. But they don't ever want to end up in one of those situations like, do you remember a few years ago, I think it was San Francisco, where they fired the guy who was running their fiber optic network. And so he, before leaving, changed the password on all of their fiber switches. Nice. And so he had control of the entire fiber network, and he wouldn't give it up and they stuck him in jail That's for contempt of court. isn't that, like, illegal? Oh, oh absolutely illegal. <laughs> he didn't give a game. <laughs> so they got him for contempt of court, stuck him in jail. He sat in there for a few weeks before finally uh, giving up the password. on the Principle system? of the thing, Don. <laughs> I know. So people get, uh, people get upset. Right. So um, So there are some executives out there who say, look, I know I don't understand these systems, but I need to have the usernames and passwords. I need to have access to these, because if anything ever happens with the IT department, I need to be able to 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 hire somebody else I need right. to be able to bring in contractors and you know I can I can understand that as an IT guy as a uh, a person who's been on both sides of the fence who's been on the uh, the management side and on the worker side like management needs to have access to that but they don't understand those systems and they could screw it up real bad uh, if well um, well, you and I have been through this yeah. uh, at a, a certain company we've worked for but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I can understand that need. So then you have somebody who wants that kind of kind of power, but then puts it in a document and sticks it somewhere. So oh, I want to remember this, so I'll yeah. put it over here. And, and all of a sudden it ends up being customer facing. Uh, it's, it's a bad thing. I feel bad for the sysadmin team if it's not their fault. Uh, if it is the sysadmin team's fault, then I feel bad that we're calling them sysadmins. Yeah. Uh, but you know, these kind of mistakes can happen. Uh, I'm hoping that it, these were for internal systems, I'm hoping that their demarcation between their internal and external network is well secured. so even if you had these passwords, you couldn't use them right. You'd but, have to
1: be on the internal network to actually access these things, hopefully.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, unfortunately but Who doesn't
1: love remote administration,
0: Don <laughs> yeah and and if you make a mistake this big, the odds of having good security everywhere else is not high. so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so'll we'll, we'll see how that one pans out, but uh, uh, you know, I feel bad for the the team if it's not their fault, yeah, but uh, yeah, so bet Victor probably. Probably not where you want to put your sports book in right now. Yeah, so. yeah. Try, try their competitors. <laughs> if you're a betting man, yeah. you should probably try a different site. <laughs> I, you ever do online gambling? I've never done online Neither have I, but no, I, it's time. a billion-dollar well, business. People love it. So, yeah. they love it. All right, well. Gamblers think, Anonymous. Is <laughs> it illegal in Florida? <laughs> I, I don't know. So when when I, I, I was in – I uh,
1: some gaming, though, because of the um, uh, Native American reservations. They, yeah. They do it, and then there's – some like boats as well.
0: When I so. lived in Seattle, I know it was in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. It was illegal, right. and if your employees did online gambling from a work computer, the company was held liable for it. So Whoa. we had to we had to do yeah we had to be our own police for that to, to make sure that our users weren't able to get you to used gambling sites. HQ? It, yeah, <laughs> so I mean it was annoying because I, I hated I never wanted to interfere with our, our employees' data. I want to trust our employees, but now when you've got like mm. a liability around it, you have to. So yeah. I, look that up see this is where it's hard to be an it guy these days because you don't know what you've got to get in and govern anymore you're Mm -hmm. crossing
1: so many boundaries and lines and things change and shift on a daily basis
0: all right well that was supposed to be a funny article and i turned it all depressing (laughs) and annoying so uh yeah that's a good note to end it on thanks (laughs) for (laughs) watching everyone good luck out there because we're
1: screwed you're gonna need it (laughs) what was it smash tv good
0: luck You'll need it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, now we can do like the Aliens 2 quote, right? Yeah, yeah. They came over me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Five well, year old girl that could have done this. Let's put her in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we got them demoralized. <laughs> uh, uh, well, the joys of uh, IT. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our news segment for the week. Uh, I think it was a pretty good podcast. I enjoyed it. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, my man. Thanks for having me. And uh, for all of you out there in the IT world, stay safe. Secure your passwords. Don't post them in a public venue. Uh, you know, recommended security. If you do, email it to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching. And as yeah. always, thank you to IT Pro TV for sponsoring Technado, the fun hour, hour and a half yeah. where we get to sit around and talk about tech news, which is a blast. Always. And as always, if you are interested in learning about IT, be sure to check out IT Pro TV at itpro.tv, our courseware library covers all sorts of topics like proper security practices. <laughs> it's in there. IPsec, We cover that in yeah. a few places and, uh, and the majority of the things that solve life's problems All found in there So definitely check it out at itpro.tv Also be sure if you enjoyed the podcast To like us, thumbs up Whatever it is on YouTube subscribe. or uh, Subscribe yeah. yeah, we're on iTunes and several other places there Be sure to, to do that Pass us on to your friends We want yes. people to Spend learn about TechNado Alright, uh, Daniel, thanks again And for you viewers out there, thanks for watching We'll see you next week